This week on Geek Explained, part four of Spidey Month focuses on a fan favorite cartoon series that ended way too soon. And in this edition of Pitch It, we're going to see what an extra season could have looked like. And spoiler alert, it would have been spectacular. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Gazana, and today's episode is continuing Spidey Month. That's right, all of July is dedicated to everyone's favorite wall crawler. And so far, we've covered Spider-Man films, Spider-Man video games, and now we find ourselves at Spider-Man cartoons. This is basically the cream of the crop when it comes to the webhead mostly uh, in popular media, and I'm really excited to talk about today's episode. Uh, We are focusing on, you guessed it, the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Arguably, though not really arguably, the greatest Spider-Man cartoon ever made. But we're going to talk all about that today, as well as talking about what I would have liked to see in a season three. Tragically, the show was cut short at season two after the uh, rights for the cartoons and TV reverted back to Marvel, and they had to have their own spin on it, which gave us the ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. But I like to think about sometimes how I would have liked to see this show continue. So we'll be talking about my version of a season three for Spectacular Spider-Man. Also, uh, we've got our comics countdown for this week, as well as this week's weekly review on the latest episode of Swamp Thing. But of course, before we get into any of that, San Diego Comic-Con was this past week. Tons of news, tons of stuff we got to get into, so let's jump into a giant-sized edition of our news segment. Welcome to the stage, Natalie Portman! Alright, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, geeks of all ages, it is time to go through all of the ridiculous amount of news that came out of San Diego Comic-Con. San Diego Comic-Con was this past weekend, and it was incredibly stacked with stuff from all walks of geek culture, whether we're talking about TV, film, comic books, video games, we've got it all. And it was just a smorgasbord of news when it comes to this stuff. So I was paying very close attention throughout the entire coverage of the weekend. And I have my notes here. We're going to take this one section at a time. However, 
Um, there is one thing in the news that I wanted to address, um, just because this is something that is very serious. It's something that I really um, struck kind of close to home when it uh, was, I guess, broadcast on the news and everything, and that is that there was a, uh, a fire at uh, Kyoto Animations in Japan. Uh, the studio was the victim of a terror attack. Uh, the arsonists set fire to the building and uh, lives were lost. Of course, there's work in that building, you know, there are certain amounts of stuff going into that studio that was lost forever, but more importantly, uh, human lives were lost. And so um, this is, of course, an absolute tragedy, and my heart goes out to everyone affected by this. This is an unspeakable, just, ah, it's a terrible thing. So, um, I know this is weird, and I don't normally do this, but, um, I'm gonna do, I don't know, just a couple seconds of silence just to, I guess, commemorate the loss and everything, so, um, yeah. Whew, okay, so, um, wanted to make sure I got that out of the way, um, because that is something that is important and deserves to be talked about. But, um, continuing on to, uh, I guess, uh, more happy news, um, I'm gonna start off, because you know our normal news segments, we start off, we go, uh, film, TV, comics, miscellaneous, uh, there was a bunch of stuff that came out, so I'm gonna mix up the order a little bit. I'm gonna start off with miscellaneous, because that has the least amount, uh, we'll jump into TV next, then we'll go comics, and then finally we'll round it out with film, because uh, I think the biggest news of the weekend was definitely from the film aspect. Um, TV, I think, had the most when it comes to quantity, uh, when it came to news, but I think for just the amount of um, seismic shifts when it comes to this stuff, film really won out the weekend for this. But starting off with miscellaneous, a um, couple bits of video game news. First of all, Spider-Man PS4, which we talked about last week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go check it out. It is my love letter to that game and why I think it is the best Spider-Man story and features the definitive Peter Parker. Um, big news for that game. Uh, recently over the weekend, it was announced that Spider-Man PS4 has just outsold Batman Arkham City and become the highest-selling superhero game ever. Huge, huge stuff. Big, big milestone there. Uh, Batman Arkham City is looked at as one of the gold standards when it comes to video games that are focused on comic book superheroes. I have a an undying love for that game. I played through that game 23 times, and I absolutely love it. But it is definitely time to see where other uh, heroes land in that spectrum. And I'm glad that Spider-Man has, you know, kickstarted this, and hopefully we can see from here more superhero games focused on other characters kind of show uh, or get a spotlight, really, in this realm. So uh, just want to extend a congratulations to Brian Intihar, the entire uh, crew over at Insomniac Games. Great job. Uh, let's go working on the sequel. Let's do it. 
Uh, next up in video game news, uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, released this past Friday. I picked up a copy. I have not gotten a, a chance to play it yet, I will be honest, because I uh, made a choice this past week. I looked on uh, PlayStation Plus, and for PlayStation Plus users, uh, they had, I'm not sure if it's still going, but they had a uh, promotion going where you could get Detroit Become Human for free. I had heard a lot about this. I know people who have uh, worked on the project and have been involved in um, fan... Uh, films and fan projects dedicated to that IP. So I wanted to check it out. I've heard a lot of good things. The graphics are incredible. And I wanted to check it out. And I thought when I downloaded it on Wednesday, I thought, oh, I can, you know, play a little bit through this just to get me through Friday. Then I can put it down and, you know, pick up Ultimate Alliance 3 and let that rule my life. But that's not exactly what happened. Um, I just, I got engrossed in that story. I, uh, just fell in love with the entire world, the game style, the graphics, the characters. So um, here is my impromptu review for Detroit Become Human. I know, bet you didn't think we were going to get here, but we are. So wonderful game, excellent game, loved all the characters. Uh, Clancy Brown does an incredible job. He is just a powerhouse in every single thing I've ever seen him in. Uh, I was really excited to see the different aspects and the different branching storylines. There's way too many branching storylines in this game, which is fascinating. It's really cool how just one single, uh, really one single choice can completely just derail the game for you. I was talking to a friend of mine who got a radically different ending than I did. And um, yeah, it was just a fantastic game. Uh, just so, so good. If you haven't played it, you absolutely should. But back to uh, our news. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 did have a panel during the Marvel Games presentation at San Diego Comic-Con, and there it was announced that uh, the DLC plans are being a little bit finalized. So we do know that there's going to be three dedicated packs to d three different franchises in Marvel, those being the Marvel Knights, Fantastic Four, and the X-Men, and that you're not only going to get uh, characters, but also, um, from what I understand, scenarios, so that hopefully means missions with each and they announced the characters that will be coming to the game through uh the first iteration which is the marvel knights pack which is going to be um blade moon knight which is really freaking exciting um morbius the vampire which i was surprised about and the punisher so that is going to be the first dlc pack that's going to be uh i believe the first one drops in september now you have to get to get any of these packs it's basically an all or nothing thing so you have to basically purchase the entire expansion pack to get all three uh separate packs so i'm really interested uh the first dlc pack i'm looking at the uh press release that came out is going to be entitled curse of the vampire so that's really exciting uh it's going to be out on uh, september 30th so it should be really cool um i'm excited to see if they're doing deep cuts like morbius for marvel knights what they're gonna bring in for uh the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, so really excited about that. Uh, they also announced that we are going to be getting two free characters at the end of August, that being Colossus and Cyclops. 
Cyclops, I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited. Cyclops, as you know, is my favorite X-Man, and I am excited to jump into the game with him for sure. So that is it for Miscellaneous. We're now going to jump into TV, and there is a lot. Starting off with, uh, we got a new trailer for Westworld Season 3. Um, it just looks so radically different from the first two seasons. We're also getting some... Uh, we're kind of transporting the time frame of the artificial world into the 40s, which is really exciting. I love that time period. So this is going to be really, really fun, really cool. And I love how it's kind of evolving. Every season is so radically different from the season prior to it. So I'm really excited to see what this is. Uh, next up, the announcement that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is ending after its next season. I believe that's season 8. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been going on for a very, very long time, uh, had its first season, not directly after, but pretty soon after uh, the first Avengers film, so we're talking about 2012 all the way up to, it'll probably end, I think, next year, so that's an eight-year run for a show, so pretty good. Um, it's gotten a lot better in recent seasons, from what I understand. Uh, I wasn't really too big a fan of it for the first few seasons just because it didn't feel like it knew what it wanted to do but um since it started to kind of branch into its own story and be less of of an ancillary uh story for the mcu i think it really was able to stand out on its own so sad to see it go but um i'm glad that it is getting to uh, or it got to have a long run like it has. Next up, we got some official Arrowverse covers from Variety for the upcoming seasons of each uh, CW show, as well as the big Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. We got some new uh, costumes, it looks like. Uh, subtle tweaks for Grant Gustin's Flash costume, uh, getting rid of some of the more purple aspects or however uh, magenta lavender uh, aspects of his costume and incorporating a little bit more yellow into the piping for the costume I think it looks really good really clean really crisp um, the big news coming out of this though was that uh, not just one but two of our heroes are getting all new costumes Supergirl is getting a completely just complete overhaul for her costume giving her pants and actually really resembling the uh, Tyler Hoechlin or Hecklin however you say his name um, Superman suit from uh, previous Supergirl seasons so looks really good she's also rocking the bangs haircut now so good for her really excited that she's gonna get to kind of evolve her costume it's i'm sure everyone gets new costumes every single season pretty much so i'm sure it's exciting for her uh but also Stephen amell for his final season in arrow as well as the crisis on infinite earths crossover is getting a new costume which seems to be kind of incorporating all the best elements of his previous costumes um really taking the detailed uh really subtle comic style details from his most recent costumes and kind of blending them with the simplicity of his first and second season costumes so really exciting going back to a more uh, streamlined tactical look which i like and um i'm just really excited i'm really excited for crisis on infinite it's gonna be really good and 
even more excited because now we've got some news about returning heroes for this uh, big crossover. As you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths is going to be a huge, uh, just Arrowverse-wide crossover, which is also going to incorporate the multiverse. It is Crisis on Infinite Earths after all. And the final episode of the previous season of uh, Arrow had... Oliver Queen joining the Monitor to traverse the multiverse to find champions to fight against the coming crisis, which is going to be, of course, I'm assuming, the Anti-Monitor. So uh, some of the heroes that he recruits may have been revealed as Brandon Routh, who currently plays the Atom, uh, Ray Palmer, on Legends of Tomorrow, is going to be suiting up once again as Superman. For those of you who don't know or don't remember, uh, Brandon Routh previously played Superman in Brian Singer's 2006 Superman Returns, which was a fine movie. It was fine. Um, Brian Singer left, and that's why he didn't uh, direct X3, The Last Stand. Uh, because he wanted to make the Superman movie. And this was kind of a sequel to the Reeves films, while also, or Christopher Reeve films, while also not being. It's weird. It's weird. But Brandon Routh, I thought, really did well as Superman and as Clark Kent. And I was really sad that he only got one run at it. And the plane catch in that movie is one of the finest Superman just feats in any cinema. So I'm really excited about it. He's going to do a great job, I'm sure. Uh, there's hints right now that he's going to be playing a Kingdom Come-style Superman, which is even cooler. So we'll see where that goes. We also have rumors. Right now they're not completely confirmed, but we do have rumors that both Linda Carter, who played Wonder Woman in the original show way back in, I believe, the 70s, as well as Tom Welling, who played Clark Kent in Smallville, will be returning and reprising their roles from those shows. Uh, they made it very clear pretty early on, I want to say in season either one or two of The Flash, that all of the shows that have ever been made live action with uh, respect to DC are inhabiting the same multiverse. So I'm really excited about it. We also got a taste of that in last year's crossover which was Elseworlds where the original 90s Flash played by John Wesley Shipp uh, the original live action Barry Allen uh, returned for this crossover and he was on Earth 90 so I'm excited to see all these characters pop up I think it's great that they're incorporating all of these characters and it really makes it feel like a big um, finale almost to this multiverse so i'm excited to see where they go from there uh speaking of the arrowverse as well we got the first uh episode of batwoman dropped for attendees of san diego comic-con and overall positive reviews so far um just like early reviews of supergirl very positive but also um it was a little ham-fisted i guess with the um man versus woman kind of thing that I guess is you know going on right now but I'm excited I'm excited to see where they go with this the writing is going to evolve as the show evolves as well as the effects and all of that so I'm excited should be a good time um, that is also going to be debuting this fall uh, we also got a trailer for Watchmen the HBO Watchmen show which is basically a sequel to the original story and it was pretty cool because they uh, the official Watchmen Twitter uh, 
posted up, you know, like this tweet to get, you know, basically to be the first to get the Watchmen trailer. So I liked it, and within probably five seconds, they tweeted me back, uh, basically saying, you know, they put my Twitter handle, and then they said uh, the story, or nothing ever ends. And then it showed the trailer. So I thought that was really cool, a great way to do that kind of uh, viral marketing that uh, we don't really see nowadays anymore. So I really liked it, but the trailer itself is bonkers. Looks really, really good. Uh, we're talking about a vigilante army uh, styling itself after Rorschach, as well as the police donning masks to, pr to protect their identities. Updates on Dr. Manhattan in his life on Mars. Uh, old man Ozymandias having schemes, even more schemes. And possibly the end of the trailer was teasing Dr. Manhattan returning to Earth. So, all in all, really exciting stuff. I'm really excited to see how this show does. Uh, next up, the big announcement for Batman Beyond fans, including myself. Uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the show. Really, really exciting. And with that, they announced the Batman Beyond full series collection, which is going to be the series finally coming to Blu-ray. Remastered. Uh, for the most part, most of the episodes are. Some episodes were just beyond repair, I guess. But I'm really excited. I love Batman Beyond. That was a tentpole of my childhood. And I am so, so excited that we're finally going to be getting a full collection for it to uh, sit next to the Batman the Animated Series collection. Next up, we got a couple trailers that I really didn't uh, know anything about prior to San Diego Comic-Con. But... Um, I got really interested in them after watching the trailers. Uh, first of all, His Dark Materials. I am not familiar at all with the uh, series that this is derived from, but it looks really cool. So I will definitely be checking it out. Uh, James McAvoy continues to absolutely kill. He is one of the he's one of my favorite actors, and I'm really excited to see what he does in this. Also, we got a trailer for The Witcher, which we've been talking about uh, recently with Henry Cavill. It's going to be his, you know, his next big role after Superman, and trailer looks good. Looks really well done. It looks a lot better than that first uh, first peek at him in that god awful wig. Um, it looks interesting. I'll definitely check it out. I really don't have a background when it comes to The Witcher, so I will see. I'll definitely check it out. I'm down. Absolutely. Uh, next up, we had a uh, basically early reviews for the Amazon Prime exclusive The Boys. Really excited about this. This is a really cool uh kind of reimagining of what life would be like if superheroes were real they have justice league analogs but it's more about um kind of their antagonists which are just normal people whose lives have been ruined by superheroes and how they kind of plot and scheme to take revenge so looks really good uh next up we have a trailer for snowpiercer which i didn't even know was being made into a tv show the film is incredible stars chris evans i am a huge fan of that also a huge fan of the conspiracy theory that it's secretly a sequel to willy wonka and the chocolate factory if you don't know what i'm talking about go on youtube it is scary 
the amount of uh, evidence there is towards that. But looks really good. I will definitely be checking it out just because I loved the movie so much. Uh, next up, we also had a trailer for Picard, uh, which basically looks like uh, Logan for Star Trek. So I'm really excited. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, what more can you say? It uh, looks really good. It looks like your classic old western tale of a uh, retired, you know, retired hero with a troubled past who gets pulled into a uh, a scheme or a conspiracy and he has to work his way out alongside a companion who is more than she seems. So it's basically Logan. So I'm excited. I love these characters. Uh, my parents are devoted Trekkies, so I'm sure they were they will be checking this out and I will definitely be checking this out as well. We also got a sneak peek for Harley Quinn, the animated series that is coming to DC Universe. Um, I, it looks fine. Um, animation looks good. Voice acting sounds good. I just, I'm, I'm burned, I'm burned out with that character. So I'm not really excited for this, but, um, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. And the, uh, the sneak peek looked entertaining to say the least. Also, when it comes to uh, DC Universe news, Young Justice has officially been renewed for Season 4. Could not be more excited about that. A year ago, this would have sounded impossible to get a Season 3, much less a Season 4. So I'm really excited. Congratulations to Greg Wiseman and the whole team behind that. Really, really exciting news. Uh, also in DC Universe news, Titans. Uh, released some footage for their upcoming season including a look at the original titans which included robin hawk and dove wonder girl and aqualad and we got our first look at aqualad as well as a super blurry look at deathstroke who seems to be rocking the chainmail armor from uh, his original appearance in the comics really excited about that that looks all right um i wasn't overly impressed as we've spoken about with titans but i i'll check it out if for nothing else than to just get a conclusion for the awful, the god-awful cliffhanger that was the season one finale. And then finally in TV news, uh, Doom Patrol has officially been renewed for season two. Really excited about that. They announced it during the DC Universe panel, and I could not be more excited. DC, or uh, Doom Patrol, rather, was the best thing that DC Universe has put out so far, and I'm excited to see where they go with Season 2. So that's going to wrap it up for TV news. Moving on to comics news. Big, big weekend for the X-Men and Jonathan Hickman. Uh, we do know that uh, House of X and Powers of Ten are releasing this week and next week, respectively. More about that in this week's Comics Countdown. But they also announced during the weekend that uh, once Hickman is done resetting and basically soft rebooting the X-Men franchise, he's going to be staying on and kind of guiding where it goes next. And we got a slew of new books announced, including X-Men, Excalibur, Marauders, Fallen Angels, X-Force, and New Mutants, which will be written by Hickman with art by Rod Race. Um, so good. I love Rod Race as an artist. I know I said his name wrong and I apologize, but I just, oh man, I, every time I read something that has him on art, it's so fantastic. The Winter Soldier miniseries deserves to be read, if for nothing else. The writing is solid, but for the art in it. 
Um, this is going to be great. I'm really excited about this. There was also an announcement for the rise of Kylo Ren. So that is going to be a comic which I'm assuming is going to be a prequel to Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, it's going to, as the title suggests, chronicle the rise from Ben Solo into Kylo Ren. And will hopefully give us more background on the Knights of Ren, which is the coolest thing that the uh, recent movies have introduced but never elaborated on. So I'm excited about that, and I hope that we get some answers. Uh, Harley and Ivy, a new book spinning out of... Um, what is it called? Uh, Heroes in Crisis uh, has also been announced, so that's really cool. Uh, another book that was announced is The Amazing Mary Jane, which is spinning out of Sp Amazing Spider-Man number 25. I am currently catching up on the uh, Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley run so far. I just finished up the first trade and I'm diving in right now to the second trade uh, so I can catch up to where the comics are and I've been really enjoying it. So if that kind of uh, same creative focus goes towards this book, really interested in that. Uh, we also got on the other side from uh, the Distinguished Competition, uh, Scott Snyder's American Vampire is going to be joining Black Label okay um it was previously a vertigo book but now that vertigo is essentially no more we needed a place for american vampire to land and i'm glad that it found a home i don't know exactly if that means that black label is going to be kind of dc's new vertigo or where that's going to go from there but i'm happy for scott snyder and i'm happy for american vampire fans uh couple last things from Marvel. We got a teaser from Marvel, which is just one image really, really interesting. I'm not sure exactly where they're going with it, but it just says, Long Live the King. And it has a blank figure sitting on a throne with what looks to be some kind of form, whether it's an offshoot or just a weakened form of Shumagorath, uh, kind of laid at the feet of the throne so i'm excited i don't know what this means at all but i uh it looks like chris bacalo art so i am here for it and then finally from comics news the big news for me at least when it came to comics of the weekend was uh we got the announcement of the next tom king and mitch jared's project following mr miracle they've been teasing it and teasing it and teasing it and teasing it since mr miracle ended um if you haven't listened to our mr miracle episode yet do it it's one of my favorite episodes that i've ever done i just i love that story so much um but I am really excited about this. They announced that their next project, their next 12-issue maxi-series, is going to be Strange Adventures. And it's going to feature uh, Tom King on writing, art by Mitch Jarrods, as well as covers. And I'm not sure if he might be doing a little bit of the interiors or not, but covers by Doc Shaner. I love me some Doc Shaner. So good. Really excited about this. Uh, Strange Adventures is going to be focusing on uh, Adam Strange, one of the more obscure characters in the DC Universe. If I had to equate him to anything, it's basically Doctor Who for uh, DC Comics. He's fantastic. He has a sick jetpack, jet and he travels the stars. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, he's been gaining stock recently. He's a uh, featured character on uh, Krypton, which I also recently got caught up on thanks to the DC Universe app. Um, good show. Really, really good show. I've been really enjoying it. Uh, I have to wait until Season 2 jumps onto uh, DC Universe 
so I can watch that. But really enjoyed season one. But yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, we've seen Tom King work magic with more obscure characters, such as the Vision, such as Mr. Miracle, and I'm excited to see what he does with this. And this is going to be a little bit different from what we're used to. Because uh, even with Vision, even with Mr. Miracle, which is more fantastical, to doing with the fourth world and everything, most of Mr. Miracle and most of his works feature more, uh, I would say, earthbound stories, more grounded stories. And uh, Adam Strange is decidedly not grounded. He's going to be out in space. He's going to be similar, hopefully in scale, to uh, Omega Men. I hope they... God, I hope they reference Omega Men. The trailer, or not the trailers, the covers that they released for it. They released the initial cover by Doc Shaner and also a cover by Mitch Jarrods, which I'm assuming are going to accompany each book, which is basically like the Doc Shaner version is like the propaganda, and then the uh, Mitch Jarrods version is the reality. Really, really liked it. It reminded me of covers from Omega Men. So if they lean towards that style of storytelling, I am there. I am all for it. And finally, we are jumping into film news. Really excited about this. Um, God, we're already a half hour in and we're still doing the news. So I'm going to try and roll through this as quickly as possible because we've got a lot of stuff left to go for the episode. But if it ends up being a long episode, it ends up being a long episode. This stuff deserves to be talked about. Um, starting off with uh, Top Gun, Maverick. We got the trailer for the second Top Gun film starring Tom Cruise, and it looks good. It looks, you know, to be. It looks to be essentially uh, what the Mission Impossible movies have been the last few years, just with the Top Gun characters, which is fine because I've been loving the recent uh, Mission Impossible movies. I've always loved those movies, but the most recent ones have been the best for me. So. Really excited about this. We also got the final trailer for It Chapter 2, looking incredibly scary. I don't like it. It scares me. I won't be seeing this in the theater. But there was a trailer that was released that was slightly, okay, for me, way scarier. And that is the trailer for Cats. Cats is the film adaptation of the popular Broadway musical, and um, it's nightmare fuel, folks. If you haven't watched this yet, I'm jealous of you. But um, this is just, it looks so weird. I think the weirdest part for me is that they, um, with the use of the CGI and everything to give them cat bodies, they didn't do anything to make anyone's face look more cat-like. So it just, like, it just looks like human faces stuck on cat bodies, and it freaks me out. Um, someone actually recut the trailer with the music from Us, and it's so fitting because it's so unsettling and creepy to look at. I'm just, I've never been the biggest Cats fan, um, but when this was announced I was interested, but now I will probably be avoiding this film just because I don't want to have nightmares for a month following it. Uh, next up, in less uh, scary news, we got the first trailer for um, a new Mr. Rogers film. Mr. Rogers, integral part of many people's childhood, and he is. They're basically doing a biopic on him with Tom Hanks, the only person I think who could feasibly play Mr. Rogers as pure as possible. Tom Hanks is playing this character, and the trailer looks incredible. 
Um, very simple storytelling, basically documenting uh, Mr. Rogers' life. I'm really excited about this. Um, I was almost brought to tears by the... I'm pretty sure I was brought to tears by the documentary that was released on him last year, and I cannot wait to watch this film. We also got a trailer for 21 Bridges, which is the next uh, Russo Brothers film starring um, Chadwick Boseman in the lead. Looks really cool. Uh, it's going to be a uh, crime drama. Uh, I have no prior knowledge of anything that comes to this. If this is an adaptation of something, I don't know. But I'm really excited about this. This looks really, really good. So I'll definitely be checking this out. We also got a trailer for The Kingsman, which is the next film in the Kingsman franchise. This one being a prequel. This is going to be taking place earlier in the timeline, I believe around World War One love that time just that time period been really enjoying the kingsman films first one was definitely better than the second but i still really enjoy the second film and i i'm excited for this it's gonna be a period piece it is gonna be fantastic so i'm really looking forward to that um in comic book news red sun justice league dark apocalypse war and superman man of tomorrow were announced as the next animated films coming out of dc uh, we do still have Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman Bloodlines, I believe is the title of that film, uh, coming out this year, probably this year, later this year, um, and then next year is going to be these three films. So um, I don't know at all what Superman. Man, why is that so hard for me today? Superman Man of Tomorrow is going to be about, but from kind of just spitballing from some of the uh, info they tease during the panel uh, this might be an origin story so I like that if it takes anything from like Superman of All Seasons Birthright anything like that I'll be here for it uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War sounds really interesting to me because Justice League Dark it's going to be the sequel to the Justice League Dark animated film uh, which features the only person who is allowed to play Constantine or Constantine, uh, that's Matt Ryan, um, was different and it was interesting. And so I'm interested to see where they go with these characters. However, Apocalypse War was a huge story in the new 52 comics and it didn't involve any of those characters. So I'm interested to see how they play that um how they're gonna balance the more occult supernatural stuff with the fourth world so we'll see but the big news from that is of course superman red sun uh superman red sun is one of the most highly regarded and respected comics when it comes to superman um mainstream it's probably one of the most famous as well uh people kind of hold that up alongside like the dark knight returns when it comes to seminal Superman stories. I think it's an incredible story. Mark Miller does an incredible job with this. And I am really looking forward to seeing this film come out next year. But the big winners for this weekend when it came to film, really when it came to San Diego Comic-Con in general, was Marvel. First of all, big props, big congratulations to Avengers Endgame for finally surpassing Avatar at the box office. They have officially become the highest grossing film of all time. Big congratulations to everyone involved in that film. That is awesome. You all put in so much work and it is well deserved. 
But that's the past. That's phase three. Phase three is done now, especially with Far From Home being essentially an epilogue and wrapping up phase three the same way that Ant-Man wrapped up phase two. We're here to talk about phase four. Phase 4 was announced by Kevin Feige during the uh, MCU panel on Saturday, and we got the full slate for Phase 4, which is going to be just two years. It's going to be 2020 and 2021, so no more MCU for this year, unfortunately, but we're going to get a packed couple years coming up for Phase 4. Um, they announced pretty much every single project that's going to be part of Phase 4. Really excited about it. I'm going to just go over it in... Um, just in general or I guess I'll go over them in uh, order of how they release and then I'll talk about them yeah so I'll, okay so I'm just you know speaking out my thoughts on air I guess but um, here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna talk about them just go over the titles what was released by release date um, and then I'm gonna rank them in the order of what I'm most excited about, and I'll get into a little deeper thoughts about that. So, um, first off, we're having Black Widow in the uh, in May of 2020. Really, really excited about that. We have Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's going to be a Disney Plus series coming out in uh, fall of 2020. So earlier reports were like mid-August so I'm hoping that they stay around there and then we have the Eternals in November of 2020 so kind of a light year just three properties but uh, three big properties I think uh, Black Widow finally getting her own um, uh, solo film along with kind of building out her mythos we also saw stuff for Taskmaster so that's up next up in early or uh, spring of 2021 Shang Chi. Shang-Chi is going to be uh, releasing. We'll talk more about it as we go. Uh, next up is WandaVision in the spring of 2021, so that's really exciting, and that is going to lead into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, releasing in May of 2021. Really interesting, Doctor Strange, the first film uh, released in November of the year that it came out, so they're going to have to do some big stuff to make this worth the summer release. Next up, we have Loki, which is going to be also around the spring of uh, 2021. First half of 2021 is going to be huge. Uh, what If is another streaming service uh, or a, uh, another series coming from Disney+. Plus. It's going to be an animated series, the first animated series uh, featuring the MCU. And it's going to be tackling stuff, uh, basically just different scenarios that could have happened in the MCU, so that's exciting. We have Hawkeye, which I'm really excited about, uh, which is releasing in fall of 2021, and then we are wrapping up the year in November of 2021 with Thor, Love, and Thunder. So, we are going to uh, rank them here. I'm going to rank them from my... Uh, I'm excited. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm excited about all of these, but I'm going to rank them from least excited to most excited. So we'll jump into this ranking right now. So first off, starting at number 10, there's 10 properties. Number 10 is Loki. Um, this is going to be following the Loki that escaped with the Tesseract in uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, so alternate timeline is going to be rolling through from what it seems like uh, different time periods and stuff. That's fine. Um, I just, 
I love Tom Hiddleston. I love the Loki character, but I'm just I'm not interested exactly in seeing where his character goes. We got a full and fulfilling arc for him, and I just I don't really have any interest in seeing more stories featuring him. Uh, next up at number nine, The Eternals. This is Marvel's big trying to uh, beat Disney to the New Gods Punch film. Uh, this is going to be really elevating their cosmic status, which is exciting. But I just don't... Um, maybe it's because I don't exactly uh, follow a whole lot of the Eternals when it comes to that stuff. But I will be doing my due diligence and studying up. Um, I've been given some recommendations on checking that out. But for now, I'm not really uh, overly excited about that film. It seems interesting, but we'll just have to see. Uh, number eight, I have What If, just because I'm not sure exactly what they're... I don't know what exactly they're trying to accomplish with this, because what's been great about all of the MCU properties is that it moves the story forward, however large or however small. Uh, when it talks about What If, it seems a little bit self-indulgent, and it seems like it's going to be bringing up stuff that kind of derails the forward momentum that the MCU should be continuing. But I'm excited for alternate stories and since it seems like they're going to be bringing back all of the cast to voice their characters in the show i'm definitely interested on in seeing what they do at number seven we have black widow i feel really bad having it ranked this far down but um black widow is just uh it's it's about i will be honest it's about five to seven years too late uh this film should have come a lot sooner than it did um, I'll, I'll say it was just five years. It was five years too late. Um, I think right around the time of uh, Civil War would have been a good time to get the ball rolling with this. And the fact that it's taken this long and that now this is essentially a prequel because she's dead doesn't really give me a lot of uh, excitement. I know that Florence Pugh will be playing uh, Yelena Belova, who is the next... Black Widow in the comics, and she might be taking up the role going forward, which is exciting. Uh, we're also going to have David Harbour of Stranger Things coming in and playing the Red Guardian, which is basically the Russian version of Captain America. So that's exciting as well, and we will be having Taskmaster, which is one of my favorite uh, kind of obscure Marvel villains. So I'm excited for what it is. I need to see a trailer. I need to see more stuff. The logo looks great. But, um, yeah, the fact that it really, again, is going backwards rather than forwards is troubling to me. At number six, I have WandaVision. Uh, this is the next streaming service show. Um, I'm excited about this, especially because there's rumors that this is going to be deriving heavily from Tom King's Vision Run. Love that book. It is fantastic. And we're also going to be reportedly rolling from this into Doctor Strange, where Scarlet Witch is going to be featuring as well. So I'm excited about this. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to be doing with it, um, but anything more to see the, uh, the Scarlet Witch and the Vision interact is going to be A-OK -okay by me. Uh, next up at number five, I have Hawkeye. I... I'm so excited about this show. Um, 
especially because they announced that it is going to be following the Matt Fraction run or adapting it as loosely or as closely as they want. And we will be introducing Kate Bishop in that show and uh, Clint is going to be training her. So I really like that. Jeremy Renner has been underserved from the get-go when he was cast as Hawkeye. So I'm really excited to see him finally step into the spotlight where he should be. At number four, I have Shang-Chi. I'm really excited about Shang-Chi, guys. Um, as an Asian American myself, I have been patiently waiting for uh, a really great Asian American superhero story. And I love that Simu Liu is playing the role. He's a relative unknown, which I like. And they're bringing him in because he pitched himself on Twitter. So I'm really excited about it. Um, this is going to be great. We're going to see some old school kung fu. This is also going to be bringing in the real Mandarin. So technically, technically, this is a sequel to Iron Man 3. I'm going to let that just sit for a while. But I'm really excited about Shang-Chi. Um, really excited about getting more Asian American representation up here, especially in a brand that is all about diversification, as Kevin Feige says for Phase 4. Uh, next up at number 3, we have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Super excited about this. Um, anything that has to do with the multiverse is exciting. And with the implication that it is going to be spinning out of WandaVision, where... Scarlet Witch might be uh, going insane and might be bringing in the mutants here. Uh, this film has a lot riding on it. I've really enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange and all of the appearances he's made as the character. So it is going to be very, very good. And this seems like this is going to be kind of the turning point for uh, the direction of the MCU going into Phase 5. At number 2, very close. Very close. Huge toss-up for me. But uh, at number two, I had to put Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, this is a six-part miniseries on uh, DC Plus, DC Plus, Disney Plus, and it is going to be featuring um, basically what happens next after Sam is given the shield. He's going to be unsure about the shield. Uh, Bucky's going to be helping him out, and I'm really excited. They're going to be bringing back uh, Sharon Carter as well as Baron Zemo. Zemo's back! And from what it looks like from sneak peeks, uh, as well as released uh, stills from Daniel Bruhl, who plays Zemo, we're getting comics accurate uh, purple sock face Zemo. So I'm excited about it. It's going to be really, really good. Um, look for this to be one of the standouts of Phase 4, especially that they've now that they've brought in uh, one of the John Wick creators. The action is going to be kinetic. It's going to be awesome. Spy thriller stuff. It is going to be amazing. And then finally, at number one, it's Thor, Love, and Thunder. Um, I didn't know that they were going to release info about this so quickly, but especially because we just talked about last week how they just confirmed that it was a thing, that Thor 4 was going to be made, but really excited about this. This is now not just going to be directed by, but also written by Taika Waititi, and it's going to feature the return of Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, and one Natalie Portman. You heard the uh, little sound bite at the beginning of this segment. Uh, Taika Waititi announced that this 
Uh, film is going to be adapting parts of the uh, Mighty Thor storyline by Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman, one of my favorite stor- or Thor stories in the past 10 years. I really, really enjoyed that run, and I'm excited that they're going to be adapting this. And Taika Waititi made a big thing, a big photo op thing of bringing Natalie Portman out. She's returning as Jane Foster. I was a little iffy about it, just because... She- she phoned in the dark world so hard but um i'm really excited that she's gonna have a role that she can really sink her teeth into and it's gonna determine i think how much effort she puts into it my view on kind of her whole tenure as the character but i'm really excited about it taiko titi even handed off mjolnir to her um, I don't know how we're going to get Mjolnir back since it's been destroyed, but that's going to be part of the film, I'm sure. And I am just really, really, really excited about this. Um, Thor is in his renaissance right now as a character, as is Chris Emsworth when it comes to that character. And building off of the work of Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame, Thor is in a very interesting place, and I cannot wait to see where that goes. But that was not the only news. That was not the only news from San Diego Comic-Con and from the MCU because at the end of the panel we had uh, Kevin Feige do his mic drop of the convention. Um, Marvel was largely unopposed when it came to film uh, this year so they made they went out, pulled out all the stops and they brought Marshala Ali, Mahershala Ali uh, onto the stage. Really exciting, didn't know what was going to happen comes out and at this point everyone had been passing out uh, Black Widow hats featuring the new logo looks really good I'm probably going to find a hat if I can uh, if I can hunt one down but um, he asked Mahershala Ali hey don't you have a hat of your own and he's like well yes I do and he flips out a hat and on the hat it says Blade Mahershala Ali is the MCU's Blade We didn't know at the time, but it has since been confirmed that it will be a feature film in the MCU. Uh, We're not sure. I believe it's going to be a Phase 5 film. I'm Until I'm aware of otherwise, I'm just going to say it's a Phase 5 film. That's why I didn't rank it within the Phase 4 news. But um, I'm really freaking excited about this, guys. Uh, Mahershala Ali is an incredible actor, two-time Oscar winner now, and he is just oh so good and he's gonna bring such a great flavor to blade and um it makes me a little sad because that now means that uh marvel netflix is officially dead and done and buried and there will be no crossover um i was really hoping that at least the daredevil cast would be brought aboard but hey got a multiverse of madness coming up with dr strange so you never know but i'm really excited about blade it's gonna be great we didn't get any other information besides that he's gonna be playing the role but i'm excited to see where they go with that character and that ladies and gentlemen at 53 minutes now 54 minutes is all of the news coming out of this weekend it was oh my god it was so much news but i'm so excited that i got to uh just really witness and live through all of that news and be able to share that with you guys So um, now that we have done this long process, we are now going to be jumping into the other main course. I normally say that our uh, main story is the main course, but I think with as much news as we got from SDCC, I think this is kind of like a a dual combo deal where 
where it's like a, it's a dinner for two, if you will. And uh, this is the other half of that entree, which is our edition, the next edition, the second edition of Pitch It, featuring Spectacular Spider-Man if it had gone on to season three. So I remember my first Spider-Man cartoon. First Spider-Man cartoon I ever watched was the animated Spider-Man cartoon from the 90s, followed up very quickly by Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Those were kind of my tentpoles when it came to Spider-Man cartoons. It was like this was the uh, horribly dated version and this is the modern version of now for so long. Um, as the movies came out, I started getting more into the comics themselves, I fell in love with the character, I really started to look back on uh, the animated series from the 90s and started to think, oh man, that's starting to feel just as dated as Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Now, not as, mind you, because Spider-Man and his and his amazing friends was Saturday morning cartoon. Every single episode was its own story. Whereas in the 90s, Spider-Man the Animated Series was serialized storytelling and had arcs going not just from episode to episode, from season to season. There's stuff that carried throughout the entire show. There was stuff that really made it feel like it was a living and breathing world. And I loved that. Um, but as the time went on, I kind of started to think I would like to have a story that is more, I don't know, uh, modern feeling, something that felt more like how I view the character now. Because Spider-Man and his amazing friends was very of its time, and it felt like a completely different world, where um, Spider-Man the Animated Series, he was already, what, like 35 in the show, so it was something that I really wanted to, uh, I really wanted to have a Spider-Man that felt like my Spider-Man when it came to the cartoons. And then came along Spectacular Spider-Man. Fell in love with the series right from the get-go. The simple animation style allowed for the fight scenes to be kinetic. They were fun. They were loud. The characters were so well written. They took stories that were very sophisticated and made them keep that sophistication while also making them more accessible for younger viewers. This is the perfect Spider-Man show. And no, no show has ever really reached that height. Ultimate Spider-Man, which was the successor to this show and the reason that this show was canceled, never got to that point. It was always felt to me more like a commercial for kids' toys. And then the newest iteration of the Spider-Man cartoon, Marvel's Spider-Man, feels like it's trying too hard. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's trying too hard. And you can feel it every episode. The animation looks really sloppy. Um... The voice acting is fine, but, like, the stories just aren't up to par. Whereas in Spectacular Spider-Man, yeah, the designs were simple, but it allowed for you to really get into the heads of the characters. The writing was stellar. The arcs were very well-paced. And it was just all around a fantastic product for the two brief seasons that we got. 
And it's here today that I am going to try to pitch to you what I would have done if they had gone on to season three. Now, um, there's a couple things that I want to lay ground rules for. Uh, this isn't going to be a full-on pitch it episode like our uh, our first pitch it episode in episode 25 but um this is going to be more of a uh, truncated more um just general notes of what i would have done certain storylines villains i would have brought in and whatnot um there will be a couple episodes that i'm gonna kind of get into but i'm gonna try to keep it as uh, tight as possible so um one thing i want to frame for the uh season season one uh starts off Peter's junior year in high school and his basically this first season is his first semester uh season two goes from December until right around like late February early March so theoretically um season three would go from late March into May so that's kind of how I have it it's the end of his junior year and the way that uh Greg Wiseman who is killing it on Young Justice now, kind of set it up for this, is that uh, seasons four and five would comprise of his senior year, and that in between the seasons there would be uh, direct-to-DVD or however films that would be like his summer vacation and stuff like that. So uh, before we get into season three, he said that the pie-in-the-sky hope, I'm quoting him here, was that we would do a spring break film set in Florida. Now, by the end of season two, uh, the whole reason that Florida is important is that Doc Connors, who is known as the Lizard, is moving to Florida with his family because basically all of his lab equipment, his standing within the scientific community, really isn't what it used to be. So he's leaving all of that equipment with uh, Professor Miles Warren while he moves his family to Florida to also not just work on a cure for the lizard, but also to work on a cure for Electro. So uh, real quick, what I would do is I would have this spring break film between season two and season three. It would be set in Florida where Electro would go haywire essentially he would be in the midst of his treatment by doc connors but his powers would become out of control and peter would have to feign joining a trip on spring break down to florida which is a common spring break thing to do um and during this film because I'll back up a little bit. The end of season two, this is where the standings for everything was. Uh, Peter and Gwen Stacy were in love with each other, um, but Harry, who was dating Gwen at the time, essentially manipulated Gwen into staying with him, where Peter had just broken up with Liz Allen to be with Gwen. So he's alone. Harry and Gwen are together, but Gwen is basically being manipulated into being with him. Norman Osborn has just been outed as the Green Goblin and has seemingly died. Quote, unquote. Um, and I think that's pretty much all you need to know there. Uh, Miles Warren, of course, did take, uh, take over for Doc Connors. Oh, and uh, Eddie Brock has seemingly been cured of the Venom symbiote and is now in uh, Ravencroft, the insane asylum. So that is pretty much where we're at, I believe, going into this. So yeah, so Peter's alone. Um, 
he goes on this trip where he grows closer to Mary Jane, who's also been introduced at this point. Uh, she had also, just prior to the end of the series, broken up with her boyfriend. And so they get close, but as the film goes on, Peter starts to realize that, um, in the Peter Parker way that he does, that the reason that him and Gwen weren't together and didn't work was because of his dual life, and he couldn't put that on somebody else. So, of course... Before the end of the film and before spring break, the spring fling ah, uh, gets called off because of him wanting to keep Mary Jane safe. So um, the lizard would also make an appearance, uh, but would find have he would have some manner of control over himself and would be able to assist Spider-Man in not just containing Electro, but also convincing him to continue his treatment with Doc Connors. So that would be the spring break film. Uh, season three, the main theme for this season is actions and consequences. So all of season three is basically going off of the repercussions of things that happened in season two. Uh, this is talking about Peter's main uh, arc over the season with that would be that he is progressively throughout the season, he would become more and more isolated throughout the season. Because at this point, um, he's already essentially lost Harry, who uh, is just the worst by the end of this, because he overheard that Gwen and Peter were going to leave their respective significant others to be together, and he manipulated Gwen, basically saying that he would be going back on the uh, the drug, the green, that he was addicted to earlier in the show if she left him. So basically, he has become an antagonist for Peter for the affections of Gwen Stacy. And because of this, he has been segmented away from Harry and Gwen, which does, throughout the season, allow him to grow closer to Mary Jane. Uh, however, because of their awkwardness from spring break, that's tentative as be at best. And as the season goes on, he begins to uh, lose faith in their budding romance. Uh, during this season, I would also have him become somewhat estranged from Aunt May as we get closer to him graduating, him possibly moving away, and the uh, one of the things that I loved about Spider-Man 2 was the sit-down conversation that they had where he revealed that he was there the night that uh, Uncle Ben was killed. So I would have that be a part of this story as well. Um... During all of this, this isolation that would progressively happen, you would see him go back to the only friend that he basically can run to in this situation, and that is Eddie Brock, who we remember, if you remember, if you watched the show, at the end was basically like the only reason that the symbiote would be with me is because of my hate for you. So during this, throughout the season, Peter would be visiting Eddie at different intermittent times, um, trying to repair that relationship. And throughout the season, that relationship would slowly but surely be repaired. This would also um, feature him having more time spent at the lab, 
uh, really giving a focus on Miles Warren as a character. Uh, Miles Warren would also take an interest in Gwen Stacy in the fleeting moments of her interacting with Peter in the lab. And of course, that would lead into plot threads later on. But the big thing from season two that would carry over to season three is the shadow of Norman Osborn. So at the end of season two, it was revealed that he was Green Goblin and all this stuff. However, um, just like uh, Greg Wiseman intended, in this season, the spin on it by Oscorp PR as well as Harry, because he has also been on the green, um, would be that the green drove his father mad and that Spider-Man should have helped him instead of causing his death. So he is already at an all-time low when it comes to public opinion when the story starts. So the season would be set up in four main arcs, and I have these arcs titled Distrust, Isolation, Rock Bottom, and Redemption. All four of these arcs would have those themes within them, and each of these arcs would be its own self-contained story leading into the next one. Within Distrust, it would be involving mostly uh, the Daily Bugle, um, involving, as uh, hinted at the end of Season 2, um, the appearance of Matt Gargan, who is a private investigator. He would be hired by J. Jonah Jameson because of all of the low public opinion from Spider-Man not saving Norman Osborn uh, to find out who he is. Matt Gargan is a Jessica Jones-style uh, private eye in this iteration. He's just very by himself, very neurotic, um, very focused, very driven, and also very, very, very creepy. So he would be following Spider-Man at different times, and at a certain point, he would find that there is a connection between Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and he would bring his findings to J. Jonah Jameson, who would essentially disavow Peter for all of the uh, bad press that Spider-Man is per currently getting because of the bugle, and would basically put Peter on... An ultimatum. He said, either you can disavow Spider-Man as your quote-unquote friend or whatever, or you're fired. Peter, of course, would never do that to Spider-Man, even with uh, his life falling apart around him, so he is temporarily fired from the Bugle. Um, as the story progresses through our distrust arc, uh, Matt Gargan would continue to mess with Peter's life as he discovers that he is indeed Spider-Man. However, Matt Gargan, seeing an opportunity, tries to extort J. Jonah Jameson for the information, basically saying that you hired me to follow around essentially, and he doesn't explicitly say who Peter is because that's, you know, that's his, in his back pocket. He says, hired me to follow someone around violating their rights. So if you don't want me to bring this to the press on how you try to manipulate uh, Spider-Man's public opinion, you're going to give me such and such dollars. Across this, uh, certain um, villains would be introduced in this as well, including a returning Silver Sable, and basic um, run-ins with minor villains such as Boomerang, who's one of my new favorites, uh, as well as the Prowler. Um, throughout this distrust arc, the public opinion is more uh, 
shifting against Spider-Man and Peter Parker is, of course, being manipulated into just feeding into that. So that happens. The end of the distrust arc follows J. Jonah Jameson manipulating Gargan into being arrested for all manner of things because he's a man who, you know, does his research, Jonah Jameson is. So uh, J.J. frames Matt Gargan so that he isn't able to extort him. Matt Gargan is, of course, sent to prison. But not just any prison. We'll get back to that later. So the next arc would be Isolation, where uh, Peter is basically isolated from his friends and his family. This is where his uh, whole conversation with Aunt May happens, and she begins to distance herself from him. They have a really, really not great relationship during this time. Uh, Isolation is also where we would be introducing uh, more and more villains recurring into the story and not allowing Peter the time to deal with all of them because of his social life crumbling around him. Classic Peter trope. So during this time, we would see Boomerang, Prowler, Shocker, and the Sandman all team up together in a pseudo, uh, not quite yet Sinister Six, in a in basically the attempt to let's all team up and take out Spider-Man. So during this, um, that would be the main, really the main part of the series, but as or of this arc. But as that moves along, we also get hints of the Hobgoblin, who makes a brief appearance during the distrust arc, but really starts to be set up during this isolation arc. And it seems like more and more throughout this that um, his appearances seem to coincide with the disappearances of one Ned Leeds. So this continues going on um, throughout the isolation, and that isolation arc culminates with Peter just narrowly, just narrowly defeating Boomerang, Prowler, Sandman, and Shocker. So, as we're heading into this, Hobgoblin immediately jumps on an exhausted Peter Parker, who has just been running the gauntlet, essentially, with these four uh, villains. So, we now move into the third arc, which is Rock Bottom, where Hobgoblin is the main villain for this one, and he just destroys Peter's life. Um... Throughout this, we find that uh, Ned Leeds continues to disappear whenever the Hobgoblin is around. And as the story starts to go on, Peter is completely isolated from uh, Mary Jane after losing his temper with her. And also sets up, during this arc, one of my favorite ridiculous Spider-Man moments from the original Spider-Man run by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. We get... The Flash Thompson Peter Parker boxing match. I don't know exactly how this comes up. I don't know how this happens, but it happens during this arc. And it is through here, through this uh, boxing match, that Flash Thompson befriends Peter Parker. Really strange, I know, but we're gonna just stay with me on this. So during this rock bottom arc, 
couple things happen. Like we said, the Flash uh, boxing match happens. Um, we get the continuing saga of Peter falling apart. Just more episodes go on. He becomes more and more um, worse looking. He becomes more pale, more tired, because he's trying to figure out this new mystery of the Hobgoblin who has made his appearance and is ruining his life. Uh, Peter doesn't know what to do with this. He doesn't know if this is a continuation of Oscorp or uh, if Norman might still be alive and is just attacking him here. We also get, during this arc, a really interesting uh, episode that I would love to see where a... basically like a famous uh, contemporary of Peter's transfers to, uh, to Midtown High... His name is Johnny, and he is just on top of the world. Rich kid, uh, comes from a very well-known family in upstate New York. Blonde, all the ladies love him. And during this episode, we get the debut of Hydro Man. Hydro Man makes his appearance as an ex-boyfriend of Mary Jane's. And through this episode, um, Johnny seems to befriend Peter, even though Peter has no friends at this point besides his... Uh, budding bromance with Flash Thompson, uh, which Flash, of course, gets really jealous about because he sees Johnny as competition. Uh, throughout this episode, um, Peter is going up against Hydro Man, isn't able to uh, do what he can to defeat him until the very end where somehow Hydro Man gets defeated by Spider-Man with an assist from Johnny being able to dry out the Hydro Man. At the end of this episode, Johnny tells Peter that he needs to pull himself together and that he will be here whenever he needs him. And of course, this is very subtly being Johnny Storm from the Fantastic Four. We would never name him Johnny Storm. He would be Johnny throughout and um, would have that kind of character, but we would never explicitly say, hey, that's Johnny Storm the Human Torch. But he would reference that he knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So just wanted to have a little thing there. And then during this rock bottom arc, um, Hobgoblin would, of course, defeat, defeat Spider-Man at a certain point, destroying his web shooter, and we would get an entire episode on the background of the web shooter while Spider-Man rebuilds it. So Spider-Man would be rebuilding his web shooter throughout this episode, and we would find out that the um, background of the webs in the first place was a secret uh, project formerly by Oscorp employees Richard Parker and Eddie Brock Sr. This is pulling not just from the Ultimate Comics, but also from Greg Wiseman's initial uh, plans for an episode in one of the future seasons focusing on this. We would get... Uh, more interaction between uh, Peter and Eddie Brock because he wants to uh, figure out where his where their fathers hid the original formula so that he can improve upon it to defeat the Hobgoblin. And this would be, of course, him getting closer to Eddie once again. Um, at the end of this, uh, we do move swiftly into the Redemption arc. The Redemption arc would be the last batch of episodes for the season, and this is where the Hobgoblin would break Matt Gargan out of prison, and you would find out that the Hobgoblin is none other than Roderick Kingsley, who is 
basically the um, he was set up in previous seasons, and you find out that he has made Ned Ned Leeds his errand boy to go scope out crime scenes before uh, Roderick would assault them as the Hobgoblin, and he has the funds to get Gargan revenge on not just J. Jonah Jameson, but also Spider-Man. And so this is when Matt Gargan would become the Scorpions. And the Scorpion would be the overarching villain for the entire season. I've always enjoyed the Scorpion as a character, and he hasn't really been done justice in uh, any popular media, so I would love to have him as the main antagonist here. Uh, this redemption arc would also feature a an adaptation of a famous uh, famous Spider-Man story called uh, Who Can Stop the Juggernaut? Instead of the Juggernaut, though, we would be replacing him with the Rhino, where it's basically the entire episode is just an action-packed episode of Spider-Man trying to stop Rhino from breaking Matt Gargan out of prison. This is the whole thing that's been... Um, Moving towards this, Hobgoblin wants to bring in Matt Gargan because he knows that Matt Gargan knows who Spider-Man is. So he sets Rhino just on a path to go after and break out Matt Gargan. And the entire episode is just Peter trying to stop the Rhino from his forward momentum. So it would be very action-packed, um, but of course Peter would fail and Matt Gargan would be broken out of prison and subsequently turned into the Scorpion. Uh, following this, the finale, the big finale, would essentially be uh, Spider-Man versus the newest Sinister Six. Every season has its own iteration of the Sinister Six. So the Sinister Six here would be Scorpion, Hobgoblin, Sandman, Shocker, Rhino, and a returning Silver Sable, who has a vendetta against Spider-Man for basically costing her family the power that they once had when it comes to the uh, the New York Crime Syndicate. So it would be a great little two-episode finale where um, after Spider-Man is able to defeat most of the Sinister Six, Scorpion has slunk off and uh, Hobgoblin has disappeared. He finds... Scorpion, Peter does, at the Daily Bugle as he is about to drop Jonah Jameson off of the top of the Daily Bugle building. Um, Spider-Man is able to defeat Scorpion, but not before he drops Jameson off of the building. Spider-Man very publicly, because when we get here to this point, um, other news outlets have showed up to the Daily Bugle building. Scorpion is... He has uh, Jameson at the top of the building, and he basically talks about how Jonah, you know, forced him to try and find out who Spider-Man was and then framed him. So Jonah is not, not looking too good here. But once Peter defeats him, uh, Scorpion drops Jonah off the building, and Spider-Man very publicly saves Jonah's life, even though Jameson has been so terrible to him. So... Uh, Spider-Man would be once again back in the good graces of the media after saving basically his biggest enemy, at least when it comes to um, public opinion. And this whole thing would wrap up with Gwen leaving Harry right around during the Redemption arc. Uh, it would get very close during the Rock Bottom arc. Redemption arc is where she would leave him. And um, 
the end of the season would be the two of them getting together. Uh, this would set up for a potential season four, uh, Peter and Gwen's relationship, as well as um, Eddie's roommate in Ravencroft, Cletus Cassidy, being introduced, leading to possible Venom and Carnage in season four. And my favorite part would be not necessarily a post-credits, but you would find out that uh, Roger Kingsley has returned to his goblin hideout. And you find out that Roger Kingsley was essentially just the uh, muscle in the same way that Ned Leeds was the scout for him. Roger Kingsley is not the real hobgoblin. He's the one who funds it, finances it, and everything. But the way that he got the tech, the way that he found the green, all of this stuff is from Harry. Setting up Harry Osborne to be a multifaceted hobgoblin along with uh, Roger Kingsley, the two of them being the hobgoblin and tormenting Peter in season four, bringing in a possible goblin war for season four or season five between the hobgoblin and a returning green goblin. Those were some of my favorite stories from the original uh, animated series when the green goblin went up against the hobgoblin, so I really enjoyed that and would love to see that adapted here. So that is the mini pitch it episode for season three of spectacular spider-man i would love to know what you thought i know it's not as uh in-depth episode by episode as um as i would like but i think having this kind of direction and getting these arcs would be really cool to move these characters forward i love all the characters in this show and i wish that we had seen a season three even if it was radically different from the one that i just proposed um, I love this show, and it still stands high and above to me, not just as one of the best Spider-Man cartoons, as the best Spider-Man cartoon, but also as one of the greatest coming-of-age tales of any kind of superhero property. And I will never, ever, ever forgive Marvel for canceling it. And that beautifully haunting melody can only mean one thing. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are heading into the twilight of the Swamp Thing live action show. Uh, this is the Swamp Thing live action series that is on the DC Universe streaming service and app. And this week we are reviewing episode 8 entitled Long Walk Home. Uh... Episode kicks off with Avery wandering around in the swamp. It was revealed that after his near-fatal attack by the uh, parent-child duo of the Cables, uh, that he was alive, and it seems that he is haunted by the rot, getting hallucinations of Lucilia and others. Um, the whole sequence where Lucilia like turned around and like her face just like exploded into the rot was really really gross and really looked good so i i enjoyed that um also the b i guess the b plot line here was that abby after the uh 
kind of goodbye with Alec in the previous episode is back home. And uh, we find that it's not going to be so easy as her just returning to work. The CDC, especially the director that's kind of basically her boss, is not very happy with her for spending so much time in Marais. And um, there's going to be some hurdles to jump for sure uh, that she is going to have to... Uh, navigate with her friend Harlan. Um, back with Woodrue, we now see that after the dinner that they had in the last episode, he is now going to be specially funded by uh, Mr. Ellery and the Conclave. Our, uh, our neighbor's dog is a big fan of Woodrue. And then we also found out that through uh, Avery's rot hallucinations that his father may have been killed by the Green. Uh, his dad seemed like a dick, so... Um, I guess you reap what you sow, but uh, it really interests me that um, that Avery has kind of had this long-standing hate of the green, essentially. So um, I'm not sure if that's going to play into him uh, being influenced by the rot or not, but I'm sure that it will. Uh, we also got to see more interactions between Avery and Swamp Thing after Swamp Thing finds Avery in the swamp. He saves Avery's life and sends him on his way. Uh, meanwhile, Matt and Lucilia are trying to get over the revelation that Avery might just be Matt's dad. I guess they more or less confirmed it in this episode that he is, but... Um... I don't know. I'm not sure where they're going with that uh, with that plot. Uh, we also saw back with Abby that Harlan is abducted by uh, some shady-looking guys, and as we come to find out, um, they are abducted by members of the Conclave because the Conclave and Mister Ellery, who shows up here, are running the CDC, and they are looking to get Abby off the case. So the Conclave has finally, you know, showed its hand that it is infiltrated everywhere. So that forces uh, Abby to head back to the swamp. Uh, Avery, at this point, returns to Woodrue after he's been now funded by uh, the Conclave, and he is looking to capture the Swamp Thing. So we see that he returns to uh, Swampy in the... Uh, middle of the swamp and has brought a full SWAT team with him. So uh, it's a really cool sequence. I really like the sequence where uh, Swamp Thing is basically just ripping through these guys who are trying to uh, capture him. But eventually, of course, he is uh, overrun and overcome and he is captured. So I don't know where they're going to go with this. I'm sure that because uh, we've only got two episodes left, episode 9 and episode 10, and um, we have to solve this somehow. Um, I'm not sure exactly at what point in the show this was supposed to be in the original 13-episode run, but um, they're moving along. I like that this episode moved the story along. Uh, I think a couple criticisms that I had of past episodes recently is that I really wanted to figure out what their direction was and i also want to know what the heck's going on with dan cassidy like where's my blue devil stuff so i'm hoping next episode uh we get more uh blue devil and madame xanadu because i feel like that whole thing is one of the most interesting parts of the show but i know next episode is going to be mostly a uh swamp thing is captured and possibly being experimented on and then abby comes and saves him possibly with the help of the blue devil he's not doing anything right now so 
Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I really hope that uh, the last two episodes stick the landing, especially since um, we know now that uh, Titans has a season two, Doom Patrol is now getting a season two, and Swamp Thing probably won't get a season two so if we we really need to see like the story get wrapped up with a nice bow or as nice a bow as they can having shaved off three episodes so overall uh let me know what you thought of this i would love to have that conversation with you um i just i'm really uh not sure exactly how this final act is going to play out so uh yeah that's it for this week's weekly review tune in next week for episode nine but for now let's jump on over to this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i tell you the comics that i think you should be picking up whether it's at your local comic book shop on comiXology or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at uh we're going to be talking about each book's title the creative team behind each book as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well and of course each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices if you have a synopsis voice you would like to uh record Quest, feel free to do so on either of our social medias, Twitter or Instagram, at GeeksplainedPod, that's at GeeksplainedPod, or through email, because I'm an old man, I still read emails, to geeksplained at gmail.com. We've got one, two, three, six books for you this week. Not a huge week, not a heavy week, but these books are all quality, and I definitely think you should pick these up. So let's kick it off with a new number one. This is Valkyrie, Jane Foster number one. A a timely book, I think, with the uh, announcement of Natalie Portman becoming the mighty Thor at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Really excited about this. It's written by Jason Aaron, and it's so, it's... so it's kind of written by both Jason Aaron and Al Ewing, uh, with art by Kafu and Mahmoud Asrar is doing the cover. Really nice cover. Love this. Um, so this is spinning out of the War of the Realms, where Jane Foster got the all-weapon, which can basically turn into any weapon you want it to, and she has taken on the role as the sole Valkyrie, the only Valkyrie left. All the other Valkyries were unfortunately slaughtered in the War of the Realms. So, um, yeah, let's jump into the synopsis here. Jane Foster stars in an all-new, ongoing series. A new hero emerges straight from the pages of the War of the Realms. For years, you knew her as Dr. Jane Foster, one of Thor's most steadfast companions. Then, you knew her as Thor, the goddess of thunder, who took up the mantle when no other hero, god, or human was worthy. Now, Jane takes on a new role as Valkyrie, guide and fairy woman to the dead. But her days of punching are far from over. War of the Realms master architect Jason Aaron and superstar Al Ewing join forces with rising star artist Kafu for the book that'll have everyone talking. So yeah, um, I'm excited about this book. Looks really good. Um, Jade Foster is going to be elevated even further now than she already was. So uh, this is a good time to jump on this book for sure. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1008, written by Pete Tomasi with art by Doug Monkey. Uh, this is also a tie-in to the Year of the Villain, the offer storyline that's going on. It's basically the prologue leading into the Year of the Villain storyline. But the overarching 
story for the issue is very self-contained. So I'm really interested in this. Let's check out the synopsis. The Joker returns to Gotham City. The Joker is through working with the Legion of Doom, and he wants to get back to his roots, giving Batman absolute hell. The Clown Prince of Crime comes back with a bang, and he's not about to take prisoners. As if that weren't enough, Lex Luthor delivers the cure for Mr. Freeze's beloved wife Nora, freeing her from cryostasis at last. But something else is very, very wrong with Nora. So yeah, um, really interested in this. Um, I'm really interested in that uh, Mr. Freeze angle. That should be cool. Um, yeah, I love classic stories like this. From the cover, it seems like we're going back to the amusement park. And the last time Batman and the Joker were at an amusement park together, it didn't end well for either one of them. So um, I'm really excited. I definitely think you should pick this up. Next up, we have History of the Marvel Universe, number one of six, written by Mark Wade with art by Javier Rodriguez. Really excited about this. I love Javier Rodriguez's art. Last time I saw him was, I believe, on Detective Comics. Really, really good stuff. And Mark Wade is so good. So I'm excited that they're finally just giving a full timeline to the Marvel Universe and have even seemingly uh, kicked DC in the ass to do the same. Uh, any of the statements by Jim Lee and Dan Didio go to show. So uh, let's jump into the synopsis. All new story by legendary creator Mark Wade. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Marvel Universe in one lavishly illustrated series. From the Big Bang to the Twilight of Existence, History of the Marvel Universe chronicles completely, for the first time, everything that was, is, or will be. Lushly illustrated text tells the complete story of the Marvel Universe, revealing previously unknown secrets and serving as the ultimate reference book for Marvel fans. Witness the greatest tale ever told, and be prepared for some shocking revelations. So yeah, um, this sounds really interesting. I... I hope that it doesn't end up being some kind of like annotated book. Um, I just don't, I don't want like a novel. I am picking this up as a comic book. So yes, this should be incredibly informative, but um, I don't want to get lost in the words, but I'm excited. Having a definitive uh, timeline for everything sounds really cool. So I definitely think if you're a Marvel fan and you want to get into like the lore aspect of it, definitely pick this up. Next up, we have Flash number 75, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter. This is the conclusion for Flash year one. Um, I'm really excited. The story has been pretty good so far, and I'm interested to see how that, how it ends, how it wraps up and steps into the next uh, storyline for the Flash. Uh, we got teases at San Diego Comic-Con that the death of the Speed Force might be coming. So uh, we'll see if this gives us any hints towards that. Let's jump into the synopsis. Flash Year 1 Finale. This oversized anniversary issue marks the end of Barry Allen's journey to become the Flash, but at what cost? The Turtle's final play will challenge our hero in every way possible, and by the end of the battle, Flash will be born and Flash will die. Also in this issue, witness Lex Luthor's offer to Captain Cold, whose icy vengeance waits for the Flash just around the corner. Whoa, got it super fast but yeah i'm really excited about this um i think i would like to see more um 
more Flash, uh, Flash family stuff in this. I hope we get some of that. Uh, this is Flash year one, I get it, but um, him being part of a larger speedster uh, dynasty, if you will, has always kind of been integral to the character, and they even teased Jay Garrick in the first issue of year one with him being essentially a comic book character. So I've really enjoyed the story so far. The art has been great, and I'm looking forward to see where they go next. Uh, next up, we have Batman, Curse of the White Knight, number one of eight, written and illustrated by Sean Gordon Murphy. Uh, this is the sequel to the Batman White Knight story from last year. So I loved that story. I thought it was really, really good, really well done, gave us an aspect of the Batman-Joker relationship that we hadn't seen before. Um, redesigns out the wazoo, loved the redesigns for everybody, and also gave us a story where uh, we saw inner turmoil in the Joker, I think, for the very first time, at least for me. So I loved that story. It made it onto our... Uh, comics that you should be reading episode the very first episode of this podcast so i'm hoping that the second uh story in this saga the sequel will live up to the high bar that the first story put up let's jump into the synopsis here in this explosive sequel to the critically acclaimed blockbuster batman white knight from writer artist sean gordon murphy the joker recruits azrael to help him expose a shocking secret from the Wayne family's legacy, and to run Gotham City into the ground. As Batman rushes to protect the city and his loved ones from danger, the mystery of his ancestry unravels, dealing a devastating blow to the Dark Knight. Exciting new villains and unexpected allies will clash in this unforgettable chapter of the White Knight saga, and the truth about the blood they shed will shake Gotham to its core. So yeah, um, I love that they're calling it the White Knight Saga. That's really cool. Um, it makes it feel like this is part of a, uh, a bigger story, a bigger uh, universe, I guess. Um, so I'm interested. I hope we get more of uh, Jack Napier from the original White Knight story here. Uh, doesn't seem like he's going to be featuring too much in this issue. But um, I'm interested to see these revelations and this these twists that this issue is promising. So looking forward to this for sure. And then finally, the big book of the week from Marvel is House of X number one of six, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Larraz. I'm sure I said that wrong and I apologize. But this is the beginning. This this is the first step. This is the uh, genesis of the John Hickman X-Men era. This is going to kick everything off. This is supposed to be changing the X-Men mythos and the whole dynamic of the X-Men in the greater Marvel Universe forever. So I'm excited. Jonathan Hickman has finally returned to Marvel Comics after his amazing uh Fantastic Four run, his great Avengers run, and Secret Wars, which gave us the essentially the board that we're currently playing on when it comes to the Marvel comics. So really, really interested to see what they do here. They're promising some earth-shattering revelations and some twists in the story. We'll see if we get any of them in this issue. Let's jump into the synopsis. Face the future. Superstar writer Jonathan Hickman takes the reins of the X-Men universe. Since the release of Uncanny X-Men number one, there have been four seminal moments in the history of the X-Men. Giant-sized X-Men. 
X-Men. Age of Apocalypse. New X-Men. Four iconic series that introduced a new era for Marvel's mutants and revolutionized the X-Men. In House of X, Charles Xavier reveals his master plan for mutant kind, one that will bring mutants out of the shadow of mankind and into the light once more. So yeah, um, lots of stuff to unpack there. Um, I kind of love that they've segmented the X-Men uh, history into those four moments, or I guess technically five, since it would be the debut of the X-Men, then uh, giant-sized X-Men, for those who uh, are unaware, giant-sized X-Men introduced the essentially the second class, which brought in Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, Banshee, and then uh, X-Men is the uh, 90s X-Men that was popularized by the Jim Lee era. Everything that you see from the X-Men animated cartoon comes directly from this run and is, I believe, still, that X-Men number one is still one of, if not the highest, um, highest selling comic single issues of all time, which is still huge years on. Uh, Age of Apocalypse, of course, is the uh, crossover where we went into an alternate reality where Charles Xavier never got to build the X-Men. He was killed prematurely by his future son Legion accidentally, and uh, we got to see a reality where Apocalypse basically took over the U.S., uh, just dismantled everything that humans hold dear and put the mutants on top. And uh, that was a big, big deal. That's, I would say, another seminal uh, X-Men run, just because of how wildly uh, different everything was in this reality. And then finally, New X-Men. New X-Men, I think, is the most interesting um, that they included, because this was the 2000 run by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. This is... Um, um, this is one of the most interesting, I think, books when it comes to the X-Men. If you've never read this, you deserve, you've, you owe it to yourself to read that run. It is incredible. The stuff that they do, the, uh, the characters that they introduce, Quentin Quire, one of the greatest X-Men of all time, um, makes his debut there and the visual style might look very familiar if you saw dark phoenix dark phoenix lifted the x-men uniforms as well as some of charles's fashion sense directly from that run so i think that's really cool uh definitely check this out uh this is promising to be the next step so this is promising to be number six in the I guess, constant evolution of the X-Men. So I'm really excited. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, say what you will about his slow burn storytelling. He knows how to build a world. So I'm really excited about it. Looking forward to see what they do here. And uh, that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Valkyrie, Jane Foster, number one. Detective Comics, number 1008. History of the Marvel Universe, number one of six. Flash, number 75. Batman, Curse of the White Knight, number one of eight. And House of X, number one of six. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Let me know what you thought of everything we talked about here. Would love to get your thoughts on San Diego Comic-Con all the news that dropped there would love to get your thoughts on uh, my supposed uh, season 3 for Spectacular Spider-Man what would have you changed what uh, what would you have liked to see in Spectacular Spider-Man number 3 also want to know 
what you've been thinking of Swamp Thing. Have you been watching it? Have you not been watching it? Um, are you looking forward to any of the other shows that are upcoming on the DC Universe app? And also, if I missed any books in our comics countdown this week, if there are books that I'm not reading that you think I should be picking up, feel free to let me know. I love discovering new comics, especially through listeners of this podcast, getting to have conversations about how uh, I got them to pick up a book and then they're able to recommend me a book is just one of my favorite aspects of this. So really, really enjoy it. Um, But yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we are heading into the final episode as part of Spidey Month, the end of July. And I can let you know right now that we've gone through the Spidey films. We've gone through Spidey video games. And now we've gone through Spidey cartoons. So what is there left? It's Spider-Man comics. So next week... We are going to be debuting a new segment for the podcast, and we are going to be talking about possibly my favorite Spider-Man comic of all time. So definitely look forward to that. Looking forward to talking to you and with you about that comic. Um, I just I have so much to say about that comic, so I'm really excited. Um, look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>